0: Of ECU do you breathe purple and gold are you ready to hoist the colors now time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics welcome in to hoist the colors with your host Steven Igo on 943 the game watch the show live on facebook and at 943thegame.com now here's your host Steven Igo Okay, welcome in to this
1: Tuesday, October 10th edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Exciting show ahead for you, as always. We are live on Facebook, live on YouTube as well. If you've got a question for us, drop it there. We'll get to it over the next hour. Also live on Twitter, slash X as well. We've got an exciting show because we're going to be talking some ECU basketball here shortly. We're going to be joined by Mark Adams, the new assistant coach over at East Carolina, any minute. And we're also going to have Joe Sampson in studio today as well to talk pirate football. And also, I've got to make a public apology to him as well, after the New York Jets defeated my Denver Broncos. So we'll get into that, unfortunately, in this show as well. Later on, uh, a couple of news and notes as we start. So yesterday, kickoff time was announced for the October 21st matchup between ECU and Charlotte inside Daddy Ficklin Stadium. That will be a 2 o'clock kickoff for homecoming for East Carolina and Charlotte. That'll be the next home game. Of course, we've got the Thursday night game going on, 730 on ESPN this week against SMU and then the Charlotte game the UTSA game in the week to follow that will be announced next Monday or should be so also the season finale the regular season finale against Tulsa which was a Friday or Saturday kick when the schedule came out that was finalized as a Saturday kick that'll be post-Thanksgiving November 25th so a couple of scheduling notes there on the football front so we'll talk more football later with Joe Sampson when he's in the studio. All right, let's go to the live line. Let's welcome in new ECU assistant basketball coach Mark Adams. Coach, you've been here a few months. First off, welcome to the show. Secondly, how are you liking Greenville, North Carolina thus far?
2: Hey, and thanks for having me on. And yeah, let's don't talk football anymore. It's getting uh, we're getting ready for basketball season. So, uh, but I love it here, Steve, It's been great. Um, you know, so many uh, uh great basketball fans out here, and they just welcome. Uh, me with open arms and love the staff. Uh, just um uh, and the weather and the and the environment out here. I'm I'm not used to all these trees and water. So uh it's uh it's been a it's been a blessing, and I'm having fun every day.
1: No doubt, really excited about your uh, arrival to Greenville, to East Carolina. We'll talk about your background and also kind of why you chose to join Mike Schwartz' staff at East Carolina. And, and you mentioned it you're a Texas guy through and through. You kind of uh, you know obviously grew up there in the the coaching ranks. Uh, You know, you played there at South Plains College as well. So before we get into kind of why you chose East Carolina, let's talk about your your background as a player, as a coach. Like, what made you way back when want to get into coaching when that time arrived in your life?
2: Well, Stephen, i learned uh, at a pretty young age that I was because of my being only uh, 5'9", 5'10", and uh, my limited athletic ability, I I couldn't... uh, I couldn't jump over a tuna can, so I knew sooner or later I was going to get into coaching. I loved sports, and my dad was a very, very good athlete, and and my twin brother was 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 bigger and much better than I was. So, but we I just grew up uh, just playing all sports, and and uh, I lived about thirty, forty, about thirty five miles south of uh, Texas Tech, uh, in in you know where Lubbock's uh, located, and and so I went to a lot of the games and. And so that was really where I got my first taste. After I finished playing basketball at a junior college, I went there, and Gerald Myers was kind enough to let me kind of join his staff as a student observer, and and that kind of kick started my career.
1: We're visiting with Mark Adams, former Texas Tech head coach, and now at East Carolina as an assistant coach. And you spent several times or several different destinations in Texas, coach at the D2 level in AIA, JUCO. And you're kind of known as a defensive coach. For, for fans who aren't aware, you have a, a very uh, you know, re- well-renowned background on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm just curious, as you were kind of rising through the coaching ranks, was that your philosophy from day one? Is there a specific moment you can kind of point to through your different stops where defense really kind of became your calling card? Yeah,
2: you know, Steve, that's a great question. I don't really get asked that as much as that. why I, uh, I was uh, started defensively. But, you know, I think it went back just in – in junior high and high school that's what i did best i always led the team in steals and deflections and uh and then i when i got to tech tech uh gerald myers was a big defensive guy and, and he had a couple of guys on staff one was george davison who uh was an excellent defensive coach so uh, I, I got a good taste of it there plus i've always thought that defense is uh is the foundation of any team you, you know you can't always control your offense when those uh shots are going in and out but if you're uh um, if you play really good defense, now, you know, you can be in any game. And then, and so I've carried that with me along with, I think, playing team defense is uh, probably the essence of really uh, – or you know, it, it's the essence of being a team player because you have to sacrifice so much. So that's – you know, and I've carried that with me all along, and, and I like being aggressive. I like the, the fighting mentality, and so that's something I've always preached to my players.
1: Arisen with Mark Adams, now at East Carolina. As an assistant coach, and I got to ask as well, Coach Adam, so you not only spent some time as a, a basketball coach, but also took some time away to uh, become a, a owner of the Lubbock uh, Cotton Kings hockey team uh, back between uh, a couple of stints there at Texas Pan American and Howard College. So owning a professional hockey team, uh, you know, that's a that's a pretty, uh, pretty uh, elite thing to add to your resume. So how, how was that process? Oh, Stephen,
2: that was a uh, uh, – yeah, about that- – Six years of my life, I really enjoyed hockey. Again, I loved the, how exciting it was. It's it's uh, more of a, a spectator sport. Uh, not more, you know. Not, you don't get the same feeling and and uh, uh, the vibes that you do when you're watching on TV. But I, I, again, I loved how aggressive it was, how physical it was. And and I was the, the GM, and that's what's so funny. I knew nothing about hockey when I went. Out. The first time I met with our hockey coach, I was at a McDonald's, and I asked him. I said, now. I was trying to put a budget together, and I asked him, you know, how much was a hockey stick? And he said, well, it's about $25. And I'm thinking, well, basketball is about 25 We have about 10 of those. So I'm figuring on my budget, about 600 and I, I told him my, you know, my thought process, and he just started to laugh, and he said, "Coach, he's a hockey player. He'll go through about 25, 30 sticks." So, my, my budget went from about 600 to about 20,000. So, uh, but we have, but it was a, it was a wonderful experience. I learned a lot on the, on the business side of things, and, uh, but again, I, I was so glad to get back in basketball, which I missed, and so I went down to Harvard College and, and started over again.
1: Yeah, you had a ton of success at Howard College over uh, about a decade or so, uh, winning a, a national championship in, in 2009, 2010. Then you joined Chris Beard's staff at Arkansas Little Rock, and I believe you played East Carolina uh, one of those years as well at Little Rock. And talk about, you know, connecting with Chris Beard, and you were a very big part of his staff. A lot of success between you guys, of course, before uh, taking the Texas Tech head job. But just your relationship with him and how much you kind of grew uh, working under him.
2: Yeah, well, back when I was, uh, with the Cotton Kings, uh, Chris and I became friends when he was on Coach Knight's staff. And then when I, uh, in 2004, I took the head job there at Hired College and he recruited, uh, several of our players. Charlie Burgess is one of the players that played and started for Bob Knight. And, and so we became friends just, uh, through his recruiting our players and, and, uh, I still lived in Lubbock. So I drove back and forth an hour and a half each day. And so we, we'd go to movies and hang out and talk basketball. And then he had several, opportunities or at least to go well at least to go interview a couple of jobs and he always promised he'd take me with him and and uh that came to fruition when he finally got the Little Rock job in uh two thousand fifteen.
1: And then coach uh, your your time at Texas Tech obviously a lot of success and you know you ended up leaving there this past off season. I'm sure you got a lot of calls when you became kind of a free agent so to speak. So so what was it about Mike Schwartz? What was it about East Carolina that led you to Greenville?
2: You know, Stephen, I I uh, wanted to make sure I just didn't make a quick decision. So I I did a lot of praying about it, and I uh, wanted to make sure it was going to be the right fit and some place I would enjoy and and doing a program that had the same philosophy. And I love Coach Rick Barnes, and uh, don't know him really well, but we talked time to time, and, and well, he's helped me. He helped me as a head coach when I was at Texas Tech, and but I just thank the world of him and what he does, and. And, of course, uh course, uh, Coach works is on his staff. And so I knew Coach believed in defense. And along with that, uh, Riley Davis, who, who actually played for me in Hired College, is on the staff here and and uh, we're very close. And so I, I knew that I was going to enjoy the staff. I knew enough about the program that our philosophies were going to be similar. And I just thought it would be a fun situation. And it's even – uh, better than when I thought. I, I couldn't uh, um, uh, imagine a better situation right here at uh, at ECU and, and uh, being uh, around Coach Schwartz. And uh, again, I'm just so impressed with his coaching ability.
1: You mentioned his defensive philosophy. He was, you know, the defensive coordinator, so to speak, at Tennessee under Coach Barnes, and they had a ton of success there. You had a ton of success throughout your coaching career defensively. So. What's it like when you guys get in a, a meeting room right now and, and trying to dial up some stuff defensively? Like, how much stuff are y'all throwing on on the uh, the well, whiteboard?
2: Actually, he he's been great, and uh, on occasion you may have to pull rank, but he he always listens and 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 we have been just, I mean, uh, just on everything that we talked about, we think it through, and quite, he's made me a much better defensive coach, and uh, the things that we're doing, and and so uh, I'm I'm happy with what, where we are, and. and we both believe in pressing the ball. We both believe in in the most aggressive teams. We both believe in throwing the first punch and attacking defensively. So everything else is just kind of falling in place. So I'm excited about our team and really excited about the defense, and then I hope that uh, you and the fans will feel the same way
1: we're visiting with mark adams new assistant coach at east carolina and coach tell us a little bit about your defensive philosophy you know i was doing some some research some reading it sounds like you do obviously like you said you want to pressure the ball also keep the ball as much as possible from rotating if if it's possible in that realm so you know what do you really value defensively without giving away all your secrets uh you know to really challenge teams
2: well, you know, I, I think any sport, uh, it's about angles and um basketball's no different. And and back when we got the Texas Tech and I our, like our first year we finished seventh in the conference and so I went back and did a lot of study in that summer going into our second year and, and just there's so many teams we're trying to get to the middle and you'll hear an offensive guys say get those paint touches and get to the you know, get inside the free throw line, and, and that's where you can make things happen. And that's all this defense does is try to do the opposite and keep you out of the paint. And so we're trying to use the sideline. The baseline is a six and seven defender, Stephen. So, and you know, that's that's the short version of it. But that's that's really what we're trying to do is just use the sidelines to uh, to funnel the ball.
1: And you guys, as coaches, y'all do so much studying, you know, on the scouts as far as you know each opposing player, their style, and. How many hours of film do you feel like you you have to watch to really get a handle on you know if it's a conference opponent, non conference opponent to really get a feel for that and and to, to really kind of execute what you're trying to do defensively?
2: Yeah, that's that's another great point. Is is that we do spend hours and hours on the scouting and the scouting is going to always trump, you know, even uh, as far as what our main philosophy is because you know each each player's got different strengths and weaknesses, so we're always trying to recognize what they do well. And keep them from doing that and whether it's going to the left hand or to the right hand or, uh, you know, maybe how they, where they shoot and how they shoot and how they finish. So we, you know, in today's time, there's so much information out there that you could, uh, you know, you can just spend hours and hours and hours on all these breakdowns from the, uh, just, you know, getting on the, there's a, you know, kind of called synergy and, and, uh, we use, you know, several of those, uh, those scouting, uh, Uh, reports and systems and and it keeps us busy but one thing about coach schwartz is he's very very prepared and i think preparation is one of the keys in winning and he feels the same way
1: the preseason poll came out yesterday in the american ecu picked to finish fifth in the league for whatever that is worth but you know the pirates have a ton of of experience returning which at at times across the country right now at the portal isn't you know is it real common and that, I'm sure, plays a role in that. But just you coming in as a new coach to this program, Coach Adams, what are your initial thoughts on kind of the talent level, the experience coming back, and, and how things are being run here?
2: You know, Steve, I, when I came in, I was just floored with how good this team was. Uh, not just how well they were coached, but the individual talent. And, and we have got eight guys back. And, and I felt like uh, all eight of these guys, I'd say – yeah, probably, well, all eight of them could have, could have played minutes for me at Texas Tech last year. And we were, actually, that was, they were, that was one of the big, this, best, uh, conferences in the country, the, uh, the Big 12, um, uh, maybe in 10, 15 years. And, and I ain't feel like, I mean, I have four or five of those guys could have started for us. So I'm, I, I'm probably overly optimistic at this point, but I think it's got huge potential. We were long. I, we only have a couple guys under, like three guys, I think, under six, five and, uh, we're athletic and these guys have good instincts and good character, good culture. So, um, maybe if I was the head coach, I wouldn't be talking this way because <laughs> you're a little, you maybe a little bit leery, but I, I'm just, I'm so excited about, uh, you know, about, uh, this, this team and, and look what, you know, how they finished last year and all the momentum we have going into this year. So it's, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to be able to compete with anybody in the country.
1: Well, hey, Coach, we had Riley Davis on earlier this offseason. I gave him a hard time. I said nobody could have hyped it as much as he did. So uh, you're doing okay. If you you (laughs) you guys want to get mad at somebody, to get mad at him. Yeah, don't listen to Coach Davis.
2: He's all offense. So he just wants to score.
1: So uh, you've got to keep whatever he says in perspective. Fair enough. Uh, Jake on uh, on YouTube, he says – what do you think are the strengths and weaknesses from what you've seen, you know, with this team at this point? If you could get into that a little bit, Coach, what do you like? And then what are you guys still trying to improve upon with the season around a month away?
2: Well, I think, you know, just the new system. and you know, uh, Coach Schwartz, we, we've tweaked and, you know, we're moving this – uh uh, defense, uh, to, in a little bit different direction. And I think offensively too, I think after their first year, you know, I've been head coaching, uh, I think five different programs. It's your first year is always the most challenging and you, you're trying to set your culture and, and, uh, get on the same page. So I think we'll be a whole lot better offensively too. It's just everybody learning, uh, you know, the, uh, the system on both ends of the floor. Uh, and then I think the other thing too, uh, like any team, it's that, 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 that cohesiveness. How, how you get along with your teammates and getting into jail and, and become one and, instead of a bunch of, uh, individual parts. And, and I like their character. So I think everybody in the country is looking at that. I don't know as far as weaknesses go. I think we're going to shoot the three ball a lot better this year. Uh, we have, the, uh, the athletes to run on the offense. And so I think we're going to be able to tackle both ends. So, uh, you know, may, maybe if we have a weakness, Stephen, it might be, you know, we we don't have a, a inside you know force right now. We got some young guys that are freshmen that are getting better, but if we have some area that probably you know we just it's going to maybe somewhat of a board. It's just not having a big six foot eleven, seven foot shot blocker.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you. You know, that that's a big part of every defense, and obviously, coach recruited you know Sierra Malonga, Callum Richard, and how are those young guys coming along in your mind, and and could they be one of those guys one day with the right yeah. development?
2: They're both doing really, really well. Sears is a really good athlete. House, uh, just so impressed with his uh, uh, offensive skill uh, skill level. So I think they're both they've both got a really high ceiling. And you know, we talk about the big men, but we've had some I've had some great teams in the past. And you know, when you go with some of those guys, six eight, six nine, like uh, Ezra and Brandon, you switch everything on the floor too. So there's some real strength in being a little bit smaller
1: and coach uh, RJ Felton the big fan favorite here he was uh, pre-season pick second team all conference just what what's your analysis of him coming in I me mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen an ECU basketball player that plays harder more consistently than RJ so do, have you seen that in practice every day
2: yeah. I love RJ I'm a big fan of his too and uh, he brings experience he's he's tough and loves the game I love his family he, you know he's just he's got a lot of substance to him and wants to win thinks of his teammates first and He's always the first guy that, uh, when we uh, gather up to close out practice to, uh, pat our on the back and tell him good job in the practice. So he's, he's showing a lot of leadership, but he can score on all three levels and, and I love him on defense because you know, like, he's so strong and, and, uh, athletic and probably our best one-on-one defensive player other than Ezra.
1: Yeah, and you talked a lot about Ezra and Brandon as well. Any other uh, individual players, coaches, or coach that that have caught your attention thus far? I know, again, you know, been here a few months, working these guys out, practicing. Any other individual standing out to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, Jaden's got a lot of upside. He's six five and plays several positions. He's long, and I think he's got a high basketball IQ. And then, you know, you know, Bobby Pettiford with Kansas is, is a winner and. Been in a great program, and and you know he's been uh, sidelined with some, uh, just some, some injuries, but uh, he's uh, he's going to help us. His leadership and and um, just his uh, understanding of the game is 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 so so advanced. I think he's going to uh, I think he'll have to separate from hopefully some other teams in the league. And then uh, you know then you've got uh, I, I think Quentin is with his. His size and, uh, his jumping ability has made a lot of progress. I, each one of them has some things that I really like, but I think those, those are the guys that probably jump out the most right now. I hope I hadn't, you know, I think, uh, Cam's another guy that's, uh, you know, that played LSU's got a, got a huge upside that can score on all three levels. And, um, so. You know we got some depth and and we've uh, got a lot of experience on this
1: team. Mark Adams is with us, new ECU assistant coach. Last thing for you, Coach Adams, you've been a part of a lot of winning basketball throughout your career. You know you know how big culture is and how big cohesion is, as you've mentioned. What what are the big keys for this staff for these players to accomplish before that season opener on November sixth to maybe reach that potential that that the Pirates uh, might have this year on the court? Yeah, well
2: that's a that's a mouthful right there. Sure. Because it's every team goes through this, but I, you know, and you're always learning, and I'm, I'm learning as much this year as I ever have, and I've been around some really good head coaches, and Tubby Smith, and and um, and also Chris Beard were both National Coaches of the Year, and I think I think Coach Schwartz is is, is good or better as is either one of them, but I think one is, is this team's got to be a good follower, the head coach, and 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 I guess my old age, the older I get, I, I look and I see. How important it is for those best players, man, they need to buy in. And if your best players buy in, uh, to the system, which ours are, Brandon and Ezra and, um, and, you know, and of course RJ are doing that and, and it makes it so much more fun. And if those guys are coachable, then the rest of the team just falls in line. And, and then when they're coachable, it's fun for the coaches. You know, we get to do what we love doing. So, uh, I think that's the biggest thing. And, and it's, uh, so far so good. It's been great.
1: Coach Mark Adams, we appreciate the time today on Hoist the Colors. We'll see you inside Minji's Coliseum soon enough, but really excited for your arrival and looking forward to the season. Thanks. Thanks for the time.
2: Hey, Steven. Thank you so much for your hospitality and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you. Thank you.
1: There he is, Mark Adams, and really excited for this ECU basketball team this season. By the way, there will be an open practice on Thursday before the SMU football game, five thirty to six thirty inside Menji's Coliseum for the men's basketball team. So check that out before you head over along with your tailgating on Thursday. Okay. Let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll be joined by former ECU football player Joe Sampson. His New York Jets beat my Denver Broncos. So we got to talk about that. Unfortunately, and we're going to preview SMU, what the Pirates have to do on the football field to turn their season around. We'll have more with Joe on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday.
3: Hey, what's happening, man? What's happening?
0: Tell me what's happening. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Steve and go on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show. On
1: this Tuesday, October 10th edition of Hoist the Colors, we just had an awesome interview with new. ECU assistant Mark Adams known as one of the top defensive minds in college basketball and now an assistant under Mike Schwartz. I'm excited for basketball. I don't know about you Joe. Are you ready for some some hoops? I've never been so far. Oh, I thought you were about to say you've never been. No and no no. No. no I've been to the <laughs> I was there when we beat Memphis. You off the show.
4: No come on now. I was there when we beat Memphis. Okay. I was there for the number one game against Houston last year. I'm, I'm excited. I haven't been this excited about an ECU team basketball-wise since I've been here, so I think this is going
1: to be one of those years people remember. I'm thrilled, man. November 6th, can't get here soon enough. Wish they were open with a more exciting opponent, but Farham College uh, doesn't really get the blood hey, flowing. good
3: team. I was good wondering, team. Good basketball team. <laughs> when did you start being allowed to play D3? Cause remember, you used to play teams like that, and then you couldn't, because remember, Shamadon couldn't play yeah. in the Maui Invitational a couple years because like they were not allowing teams to play Anyone that was not D1, and now all of a sudden you can again, and we're playing whoever the heck Farum is.
4: I wonder if it's a conference rule, because UNC has always played some sort of D2, I feel like. No, you guys, a Preseason
3: doesn't count.
1: Oh, so yeah, you mean opener. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. I was yeah. told that the American didn't want its teams playing non D1 teams, which is why I was very surprised. This yeah. is the first non D1 team ECU has played in a long time. Yeah. So, I, I don't know the official rules. Either way, the game doesn't count towards the net, so it's almost like a so officially
4: preseason, yeah.
1: Right. It, I mean, it'll go towards the official record, but as far as like making the tournament, this game doesn't even matter. So it only hurts ECU. In basically. theory, well, they, I guess
3: if you look at Mike Schwartz's all-time win percentage, it, it will wins help the game. It helps. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, just being real, like otherwise, the net doesn't factor in this game. Yeah. I mean, so like, it so doesn't. It's just it's a win just on the record. A, that It's doesn't kind count. of a warm-up game. There we and go. if ECU loses, then. That's a different conversation. Then it'll it'll definitely hurt. But it won't. They won't. They won't. Joe could start for Fairham College. Hey, I was a hooper. You were? Yeah. Along with your multi-positional football career? Yeah. Played six varsity sports in high school, I go. Six? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. So you really are an expert. You can speak on every sport at Close
3: to it, yeah. Water polo doesn't count when you're only on the club team, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) No.
1: No, it doesn't. So we've got a football game to preview, guys. It feels really? weird, man. This Thursday game, like we had the press conferences yesterday with Mike Houston, Blake Carroll, Donnie Kirkpatrick. I already went out to practice, shot photos. Like I almost feel like the heavy lifting is done. Now I'm yeah. just ready for the game. Like and it fast feels, forward. feels weird for that to be on a Tuesday. And I got to be honest, guys, we, uh, we made our picks last week. Uh, we had Bobby Harwood and Studio Joe and we picked the rest of the schedule. At that time, I picked ECU to beat SMU. Mm. and uh, I think Phillip and Bobby picked ECU to lose, correct? Correct, yeah. And i got to be honest, I'm uh, not liking my prediction as we get closer to kickoff. <laughs> I've done more and more SMU research. I just kind of went off, hey, SMU traditionally softer team in terms of, you know, they're, they're offense-driven. Right. This year, defense. they're defense-driven. Yeah. And they're they're still not running the ball real well, so I feel like ECU's defense could make them one-dimensional but I, I just don't know if ECU can score enough in this football game to keep up with SMU. Like I'm really worried about. SMU's defense. Yeah, and that's not something that's always what we we talk about I've never said that.
4: Especially when you have a unit that's returning coaches who coached at Miami, who brought them to fifth, I think it was, at one point in the FBS in scoring per game, and an offense that less than a year ago had 41.8 points per game. And this is an extreme departure for a team that's always been offensive-driven like SMU. So to see them defensively holding teams to under 200 yards rushing and under 300 total yards is... A very rare thing, and I also am fearful for the chances of how the offense responds.
1: And you look at their schedule; they have lost to the teams that they that you would expect them to lose to right. twenty eight to eleven to Oklahoma, and really, you know, they didn't score I think a touchdown until very late in that game. You no, know, yeah, and uh, yeah, they didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. So. I don't really know how good their offense is. They only scored 17 on TCU, and TCU is not a juggernaut defensively, so no. they lost 34-17. And to be fair, much like ECU versus Gardner-Webb, their 69-0 win over Prairie View A&M, nice, uh, <laughs> really inflates the numbers. Exactly. So I don't know what to make of this SMU team, but... I do know defensively they're good. Mm -hmm. Offensively, I think, is a question mark. I think the total in Vegas, it started in the 50s and now – or started at 50, now it's like 56. The line was like ECU as an 8 or 9 point dog. Now it's up to 12. So the public is heavy on SMU. We've talked about this before. That could be a good thing for ECU. Right. Um, The majority of the money coming in on SMU to cover. A lot of people love betting these Thursday night games. So we'll see. But I just don't know – you know, the one thing I will say, Joe, is if ECU can find a way to win this game, and Donnie Kirkpatrick said it on Monday, you can erase a lot of the the painful start to the year. You win this game, all of a sudden, you will have some momentum going to the Charlotte game.
4: Yeah, all of a sudden you're sitting in the conference and you're one and one, and that's with a winnable game. With versus With a winnable game versus Charlotte, and this is a team that actually struggled against the fight in Biff Pogies for the first two quarters, and it wasn't until the 95-yard touchdown run by SMU's running back that they really looked in control. And uh, Under 200 yards rushing against Charlotte, and Charlotte's defense is not something that is really what we'd expect or what to write home about, even though Biff Pogie told us they were sleeping on them. I'm still sleeping. I hit the snooze button. Everybody's I grabbed my pillow and my blankie. But that's just the difference between how ECU is built and how Charlotte's built. And ECU is built for that kind of slow running game and trying to stop the what we call the chop plays where you chop three yards, you chop four yards, you chop three yards, and all of a sudden you just have an 18-yard drive down the field. And that's kind of what SMU's been trying to do this year as opposed to the high-powered offenses in the past. So I think it definitely erases it, and you can kind of put away the – good teams that you played in the beginning of the season, you're 1-1 one and in one the conference with
1: a chance to make noise. Thursday night game, new black unis. Have, have we talked about the new black unis with you? I don't think so. How do you feel? You had a sneak peek at them early on. I I liked them when I first saw them. Yeah. I like them even better now. I'm a big fan of the uh the stripe on the sleeve with any yeah, uniform. Yeah, the retro the retro stripe, but is. especially with the black unis. Um, I love the no quarter on the back yep. of the collar. That's, that's a small detail. That's a sweet look mm. and if there's one thing I might would change would be a little more gold on the you know the the, the numerals, but right. I'm fine with it cuz you got the gold on the stripe I like
4: I'm, I like the purple plane though cuz it's like night of the Boneyard's right. supposed to be like the the true
1: blackout. Yeah, so, I mean, it looks it looks good. I I don't have a problem with it either way, so I I think it looks real sharp.
4: My only hope would have been the
1: Purple Pirate script with the
4: gold outline on the black helmet, but yeah, I was told it didn't look the way I think it would.
1: Right, because I know they looked into it, and mm-hmm. I guess they just decided to go with the, the Jolly Roger for now, but maybe at a later date. Um, Who knows? Craig yeah. Littlefield on Facebook says, The question is, can our defense score enough for ECU to beat SMU? We know what we will be on offense. So I will say Preston Stone has been a little bit turnover prone. He's thrown five picks. SMU, I think, has lost a couple fumbles as a team. Got so got like that, a
4: 63.5 QBR, too. Yeah. He's not
1: playing well. So he's he's been pretty pedestrian. He's not Shane Buchel or no. Tanner Mordecai right now. You know, honestly, a very similar situation to Mason Garcia. He was a four-star quarterback mm-hmm. out of high school. Developed. I think this is his second or third year there. I think third year is redshirted. Yeah,
4: redshirt sophomore.
1: The difference is he's probably surrounded with a little bit better talent and uh, has played a little bit more consistently, but the numbers aren't great. So if you can get him in, and I haven't dove into the, the numbers, how he's doing versus pressure. I may look at that during the break. But if you can get them into third and long, they like to do a lot of tempo, mm-hmm. similar stuff to Gardner-Webb. They're just going to be a lot better at it and uh, a lot better talent. But if you can get them in the third and long, I think you could you know, force some turnovers. And I don't know if the defense is going to score, but at least set up some short fields.
4: I mean, anytime you can play a quarterback, who looks like his dad would sue you. You have an opportunity to kind of bring some pressure and rattle him. And that's just what Preston Stone is. He's one of those guys that when you bring pressure off the edge, he doesn't settle into the pocket well. He doesn't deliver good balls as far as what it has. I think the farthest uh, pass against Charlotte might have been 23 yards, and that receiver finished with three catches for 33. So, wow,
1: you're breaking this thing down. Yeah, hey, you know, Joey football,
4: but that's that's what he does. He's not a big ball guy. He doesn't like to put it out deep. He doesn't like to throw it and show off his arm. He's just one of those quick hitters off the tempo. And if EC, you can get him behind the sticks, I don't think he can get that deep ball out or that intermediate ball that we like to see so many quarterbacks kind of throwing the deep over to get the first down on third and 15
1: yeah his uh his numbers against the blitz this year um as far as under pressure when he's under pressure he, he's he's not been good uh thirty five percent completion mm-hmm. percentage which is subpar uh but the problem is looking at their numbers it's hard to pressure him because of how quick they get it out yeah so when they basically teams are not blitzing them twenty six percent blitz rate and when teams have blitzed, at times, they've gotten burned. He's actually got a higher pro football focus grade against the blitz. But if you don't blitz and can get a little bit of pressure, obviously with a quick passing game, you're going to create some issues. Mm-hmm. So th- that's kind of the chess match if you're Blake Carroll. How do you find a way to get pressure? Or is it more disguising coverages in a game like this, if you know they're going to you know, try to get the ball yeah. out quick?
4: I think it's more disguising coverages and not letting him know where the ball's supposed to go right. and creating those kind of cloud looks some 38 double cloud to kind of put two guys back there so it looks like it's going to be cover two and then you can play more of a cover three to keep things in front of you. And that's, Harold's a a chess master as it is anyway as far as how he thinks and how far ahead he is based on this formation and this tendency. So I've no doubt he'll know how to hurt this guy or he'll go back five years in the past and see this play caller was it west alabama or something when he was at a d2 and they ran this play so we should expect it he's he's really good at understanding that and being cerebral as far as being advanced in that so i i don't think it's more of bringing pressure i think it's when you disguise looks and get coverage sacks your pass rush can get home then and jd lampley and big tay and all those guys off the edge will do that
1: yeah four of his uh five interceptions this year have come not against the blitz so Mm -hmm. he can be fooled by coverage is what that stat tells me without watching the film So we'll see how it plays out on uh, Thursday. Got to keep saying Thursday. instead of Saturday. All (laughs) right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll dive into more of this SMU game. Um, Also, at some point, I have to issue an apology to one Joseph Sampson as well. And we'll get into that at some point, too. This is Hoist the Colors.
0: Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics, this is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game.
1: Okay, welcome back into this edition of Hoist the Colors. On a Tuesday, Joe Sampson is in studio. We talked to uh, new ECU assistant coach Mark Adams earlier, one of the top defensive minds in college basketball. If you missed that, check it out. We'll have it archived on YouTube, Facebook, as well as in podcast form. For those who have not yet, downloaded the Hoist the Colors 94.3 The Game channel on your favorite podcast app uh, through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe, subscribe to YouTube. I've noticed our YouTube numbers, guys, are going way up. We have hey, crossed man. 400 subscribers. Considering we just started this brand new channel in May, that's a pretty big leap. Right, so man. I'm excited about that. Let's try to get to a 1,000 by the end of the football season, not by the end of the show. Uh, yeah,
4: you want to go one of those crazy YouTube videos? We get to fifteen thousand
1: yeah. likes. If we if we get, I go, we'll jump in the Tar River. If we get to a thousand subscribers by the end of the show, <laughs> I will uh, leave the studio naked. So <laughs> there is zero chance of that happening, <laughs> and uh, I can put it out there with twenty minutes left that that will not happen.
3: Yeah, I know. one way that I think yeah. that we can get a thousand by the end of football season is having YouTube fight every day like we That's do on fine. Friday. Hey, and, you know.
4: I'll have to find some kind of uh, backing. For yeah. one of your nine different regional teams.
3: You can be a huge Chief, you're a huge Chiefs fan this week.
4: I know? am. Yeah. Huge Chiefs fan.
3: Huge Broncos? Chiefs fan. Yeah. Hey, IGO doesn't even have to watch the Broncos. That's this the week. best part that. about it.
1: The ECU and Denver Broncos are playing at the same time. I'm going to make Thursday sure tonight. it's on in the box. I have zero desire to watch Patrick Mahomes carve up the Denver Broncos defense. We might as well just get into it. I'd like to issue an apology. Uh Firstly for <laughs> – I hate when they cut to my face on this camera. But uh I'd like to issue an apology to Broncos country first and foremost uh, for believing in this fraud of a football team. I thought that they had turned the corner after beating the lowly Chicago Bears. I was sadly mistaken. And now I can start rooting for a higher draft pick again. I would also like to issue an apology to Joseph Sampson who is sitting to my right. He is the only New York Jets fan I know. Probably the only New York Jets fan I'll ever meet. And I have to say, I got mad respect for you, rooting for the Jets, rooting for that franchise. I root for a terrible franchise in baseball, the only team that's never been to the World Series, the Seattle Mariners. So I understand your pain. At least the Jets have won a Super Bowl as well before you were born. is true. But congrats to your Jets. They're back in the playoff mix, 2-3, and Denver. Now fighting for draft picks, so if you'd like to gloat, oh. the floor is yours.
4: I mean, Super Bowl's back on. That's that's all I have to say about it. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, what what an offensive mastermind yeah, yeah. Just as had far as that the game plan up the goes. They're just so hey, smart. if you know your personnel, you know what you can do. Don't have Russell Wilson trying to pull it down in man coverage yeah. and run 35 times a game, and you know maybe you wouldn't have to settle for field goals. But I will say, <laughs> up until probably the blunder that was the two-minute drill going into halftime. The Broncos looked very much in control. I do give them tremendous credit in understanding how to isolate weaknesses they saw for a week. And it ended. But they didn't know how to finish the game. And that's what matters. It's not about how you start, Igo. It's about how you finish. <sighs> Broncos country,
1: thank you. <laughs> Broncos country, let's die. Uh, you said it, not me. The Denver Broncos are the only team that, I mean, just... Halfback ISO up the middle can't guard it. Hey, man, Brees Hall is a monster. I mean, as soon as they started just running dive and – I mean, nothing complicated, just simple handoffs. It was just lack of gap discipline. Linebackers can't fit the gaps. Great executed
4: blocks by the fullback, Baden.
1: The Jets, I mean, that's the thing. Like, honestly, they are a playoff team with a quarterback. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, their roster is really good and – you could just tell the difference between a team that has a playoff caliber roster all the way around versus a team that does not, and that showed in the second half. Like Denver was able to scheme some things up early. Sean Payton still a good offensive coach, but after that, once New York caught on to what they were doing, yeah, the screens wrap. and everything, and at least settle into that. At least. Uh, Neither of our teams are as bad as the Panthers. Yeah. So, I'm sorry,
4: Felipe. <laughs>
3: it's bad. We it, gotta
1: talk.
4: Man. I was gonna
3: say, go. Maybe our teams should both start dressing up like Gilligan. Maybe we'd win more games.
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> put on the we probably hats, should man. honestly. Yeah, uh, it, anything to reverse the mojo. Jewelry. You glasses. should start wearing that every every Thursday, Friday show you come in. I would love to. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine. Okay. With
3: it. I'll. Right. Okay. Hey, as long He's as the high-ups don't yell at them high ups. I mean, <laughs>
1: Every NFL pick segment, Joe is going to wear that until the Jets lose. Sounds good. Who do they play this weekend? The Eagles. Okay. Well, <laughs> you get to wear it one more time. It
3: won't be long.
1: Um, tush, push. How does it feel, by the way, Phillip, and I know this feeling as well as a Broncos fan to see them trade all their first-round picks, but uh, yeah. your team is horrific, and you can't even get excited about a draft pick because the Chicago Bears are going to be there to gobble it up.
3: Yeah, it's it's more frustrating definitely than we have in the past. Of course, um, a few years ago when the Panthers were looking at like a top three pick, they randomly beat the Redskins midway through <laughs> like December and blew themselves out of seven picks. So we probably mess it up anyways. But uh, I guess the only way that it's not as demoralizing is the fact that we know we already have a quarterback. I mean, you still would like to you know draft Brock Bowers at like number two. But uh, at least, like, I know you just gave me a face, Joe, about us saying hey, we have a quarterback. But you've invested in a quarterback for the long term. Like, it's not like most teams who are tanking are, like.
4: Hey, all I'm saying is high draft pick quarterbacks are not guaranteed to work out after no, a couple not. flashes in the pan.
3: No, they're not. I mean, look at Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell and so many others. And you can be drafted late, like Russell Wilson in the third round or Tom Brady in the sixth. And or Brock Birdie. worked out. Yeah, or Brock Birdie in 256th. So yeah, I don't know. it's been no to answer your question. I guess it's pretty demoralizing the bright side is the bulk of the tough part of the schedule is early. I did have the Panthers starting out one and five, despite having them win seven games. I still think seven might be a little bit of a stretch now, but uh the schedule gets easier. That's says for sure. You got the Colts, got the Texans who are looking better than they did, you got the Titans. So Hey the fighting Gardner
4: Minshews yeah. will put up a fight.
3: Hey, the Packers still I don't think are great. Still gotta play yeah. the Packers. On Christmas Eve, we'll get a good Christmas present. I'll go into church happy, still wearing my Panthers gear, and uh, you know we'll we'll win four or five games. And uh, yeah, the Brown or the Bears will get the sixth pick because of it.
1: And the Bears have to figure out what to do with their quarterback situation. I feel like if you got two top five, top six picks, you got to at least take a quarterback. Like, I think you have
4: to end the Justin Fields experiment. Yeah. I mean, Unless especially he just with lights con- it
1: up second half of the year.
4: Even right? with contracts, if you're in that position and you've got to pay him over the five years of the extension you'd have to give him, it makes more sense to go get a rookie on a rookie deal.
1: Right. No, you're right because that is the big. Then you can buy pretty much every other position yeah. if you don't have the quarterback. Especially tied up. if
3: the rookie is Caleb Williams. That is true. Which is its own. Unless the Panthers Caleb get team, I don't know if they'll have the first pick, though. I, I think the Bears will squeak out a few more ones. The Panthers could give them the first pick, but...
1: I mean, the Bears honestly aren't a... They're, they're a terrible team, but... But well, they're they, not they, as they, bad. They exactly. went to the Commanders and pretty much smoked them, so, I mean, they're capable of winning games. Yeah, I think so, their the game, game plan started
4: like to look much better. oh
1: the Cardinals. Do they yeah. have that fire in their gut? Yeah. That's a they good do. point. Yeah. And is Kyler just going to sit out the season at this yeah, point? Yeah, probably. Right. All right, let's get our uh, final break in. I believe we'll come back and we will uh, talk more ECU-SMU. We got to dive into the ECU offense versus SMU matchup a little bit. We touched on, you know, how to attack Preston Stone. We'll look at some of the numbers on the SMU side. Very worried about this pass rush from SMU. I'll tell you why on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday.
0: We'll be right back. We're live with Steven Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right,
1: welcome back into the show. We've got a few minutes left on this Tuesday. We're just looking at SMU staff. They've got the most incredible listing of titles I've ever seen a football coaching staff. They have what, four offensive coordinators or co-offensive coordinators. They've got a run game coordinator on both sides of the ball. they got a pass game coordinator. they got an associate head coach and an assistant head coach. And then, of course, they've got a special teams coordinator. So this is just, like, too much going on in these titles. Assistant, it like
3: a prep high school.
1: The, yeah. yeah,
3: assistant to the head coach.
1: I mean, it's just – Is his name
3: Dwight Shroop? Uh, I wish. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, one guy who is just the poor defensive line coach, Calvin Thibodeau, who's a great coach, by the way. But yeah. everybody else has like 18 different titles. Um, so I was worried about this game, like I was saying earlier. Now I'm very worried. I just looked at pro football focus. The number one team in the country in pass rush grade? Is the S- uh, SMU Mustangs. SMU Mustangs. ECU dead last in pass protection grade Ouch. as an offense. So what... Do you do? Run the ball. And that's not what fans want to hear. But no, I mean, but like-
4: that's, that's what it's going to take. And I, I don't want to go back and beat a dead horse. I just have to use the most recent example. The Jets did it yesterday, or two days ago, when they played the Broncos. They ran the ball down their throats. They opened up the play action. They let the quarterback play free, and that's what you need to do. And Coach K is going to know that. They don't particularly line up well against the run. They're more of a pass rush team. They like to get you behind the sticks. Three or four yards on first down gives you a chance to go to an intermediate play call, take a shot, kind of catch them off guard before you get the first down, and that's what it's going to take. You have to kind of have these long, sustained drives that you don't necessarily want to see that make us look like Wisconsin from the early 2010s, but that's probably what it's going to take against this kind of defense.
1: Yeah, I'm just uh, and looking at their numbers. Elijah Roberts, Miami transfer edge guy, has 20 pressures in five games, elite pass rusher. They got another edge guy, Nelson Paul, who's got 12 pressures, three sacks. He also grades out as a very good pass rusher. They got a backup edge guy who's good, uh, Jalen Samuels, defensive lineman, uh, Corey Robinson leads the team in pass rush grade from the interior. He's got nine pressures. So, and then we haven't even talked about the guy who's been there forever, number 40, Elijah Chapman. He's got seven pressures, run stuffer. He's their best run defender. So, you got to be able to handle them up front just to have a shot. And maybe the other side of that, too, is you. maybe ECU, we talked about, it, you want to have sustained drives, but maybe you try to do some tempo as well to just keep them on their heels because if they're able to dictate the pace and just get off the ball quick and have that get off and the obviously the strong pass rush ability, it's just going to be a long day.
4: Oh, certainly. And if you're going to try and tempo them, this is the team you have to kind of do it because they sub so much and it's such a – frequent change in personnel and how they like to do the formations and their multiple fronts, that if you can keep them in one look and kind of hammer it all the way down the field and get on the ball and stop them from subbing, it could be a very long night for
1: SMU. Craig Littlefield says, can we count on the throws to the ECU tight ends to help take the pressure off Lynn?
4: Craig, I hope so. I'm, I'm about to stand on this table for, what is it now, the seventh week in a row? Yep.
1: Since guess, before Michigan? Yep. Seven weeks. You've
4: got to throw the ball to the tight end, and I was wrong in my statistic last time. But you need to get the ball to Shane Calhoun.
1: The other the other problem with that though is you got to use the tight end the block in a game like this. So. This is also true. So like, it's where the boot comes from. I mean, it's you, a little, little play action. Yeah, I mean, little you got
3: personnel.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ooh. You, you, you know Antonio Ferguson probably out right now. Freshman yeah. tight end. So. Maybe we get some Jackson Barker action. Maybe we get some Desirio Riles. So. Good old
4: 919 Jackson Barker.
1: Because you got, I mean, you, you can't just, if you go five five man protection against this front all, no, at all yeah. times, you're going to get smoked. You, so. You've
4: got to keep a six guy in, whether it's tight end to kind of help in one of those uh, plus one situations, or you keep the back end so the tight end can release free. Somebody's staying in the backfield for sure.
1: Yeah, you got to in a game like this. We'll see what ECU's game plan is coming out of the bye. Maybe they got a few tricks up their sleeve it's always a possibility smu as well with their offense more than likely gonna throw some stuff out there on thursday so we'll see what happens just a couple of days away from kickoff as we sit here on tuesday joe thanks for the time we'll see you again on thursday we'll have mark Yellock in studio and then we'll go to you for our game picks a day earlier because friday will be our reaction show but thursday we'll have our game picks including ecu smu there we go spoiler alert who are you picking or is that to be determined?
4: To be determined.
1: Okay. All right, Joe Sampson, the victorious Joe Sampson. His New York Jets are uh, back in the playoff race for one week. All right, we got to get out of here. This has been a fun show. Thanks again to Mark Adams, also to Joe and Philip for producing. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 12 noon. Bobby Harward will be with us, and we'll break down ECU-SMU further. This has been Hoist the Colors. This has
0: been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo.